the farewell show, and we got 13 NFL games to go over. We're going to have best bets in there, the whole thing. Last segment's going to be about you. So stay to hey, if there's ever a tease that should be like, hey, that they say the thing that makes people pay attention the most is their name. Are you going to say all our listeners' names? No, that could take weeks. <laughs> obviously, getting a lot. Well, I don't know about obviously getting a lot of questions. Well, what are you, what are you guys doing? We're moving to a podcast, and it's going to be straight out of Vegas AM, and it's going to come out overnight. Scott and AJ is going to head it up. Fez and I are going to be involved. Here's the thing. In some ways, some I'll, I'll be some listeners will probably like this show better than that. What we're going to do, a lot of listeners I think are going to like what we're going to do there now. New over this, no guarantees. What I know is we're gonna we got some really good ideas, and it's some stuff. Listen, there's certain things you can do on national radio that you can't do on a pod, and vice versa. So what we're gonna, what we tried to do on this show was focus on the things that this format was best for. And then that's what we're going to do on the pod. And what I know is it's a pretty good bet that there's a chance that the listener is going to like the new show. And thus, what's it cost you to find out? Nothing. Just follow at RJ in Vegas. Sports betting is getting huge. The only time it's a problem is if you're betting like you're a pro and you're not. So, you know, I'm not going to tell you what to do with home underdogs or whatever. Again, at RJ in Vegas for the new pod. That's how you get that. But for those that don't come over, mistake. But if you don't, don't bet like you're a pro when you're not. And you know how you can know if you're a pro? When you're winning consistently. And I don't mean a couple weeks. I mean two years. If you're good and it takes you two years to figure it out, you got the rest of your life to like be on easy street because you can win. And you don't have to work. You don't have to work if you can win at this. You don't have to do radio shows if you can win at this. I mean, it's like this is a a meal ticket. So take your time being sure that you can win because most of you can't. It's just statistical. 3% maybe win at most. And the only way to get hurt, though, is if you're betting more than you should. If you bet a recreational amount, you're fine. So there's a lot of shows. They're talking a, a lot of stuff about, by the way, AJ, you've done your final thing. We're not doing the normal out, so you just relax. Is, <laughs> is the idea of these shows is they want to hype things up. You know what? So did we. I mean, we did it, I think, in a in a way that was reasonable. But, like, hey, it's a big game tonight. Whatever. Now, we never said bet all the TV games. I'm not saying other places are. I'm saying they're, quite frankly, not as seasoned as we are. And there's other shows that are seasoned. But in general, don't let the hype get you in trouble. Because to me, sports betting is going to be everywhere soon. I mean, California, it's happening. And there are going to be pro- there are going to be problem gamblers, and the way to avoid that is don't bet too much. No one ever had a problem from betting twenty bucks a game, unless it was too many games. So that's my main advice. And also, use what you learned on the show, not just to handicap, but to deal with life. Because to me, one of the rarest commodities is how do you have an independent opinion about things that the world has opinions on. Hey, the world says this, I'm saying this. Now, that's hard. But what we've done here, I think, is show you, at least with games, how to do that. Hey, John, make sure we got Miss You up. We, I want to go out with that. How's that sound? 
There we go. All right, guys, be careful. This has been Straight Out of Vegas. Straight Out of Vegas! That's it. That caps four plus years of Straight Out of Vegas on Fox Sports Radio. And if you've been listening, you know we're just getting started with pregame content, but decided to do a little clip show to commemorate four great years on Fox Sports with Straight Out of Vegas. And let's go back to it. Let's go in media res or in the thick of things. It was that brief moment right after the Fox Sports Radio weekend edition of Straight Out of Vegas and right before the weekday was getting started. Let's hear how RJ introduced us to the weekday edition of Straight Out of Vegas. Hey guys, RJ here, and we are so excited. All of us here on Straight Out of Vegas. We did one year of weekends. Let me tell you, it wasn't easy. You work all day during the week, and you're there on the weekends at 2.30 Eastern. We did it for a reason. We felt like that there's a show that, quite frankly, America has always wanted, and it's a show that talks sports from a Vegas perspective. And listen, this is not going to be, this show is not going to be about picks, 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 or make this bet, make that bet. We have found through the Straight Out of Vegas on the weekends, more than half of our listeners don't bet. And some of them do only bet occasionally. And I love that. You know why? Because if you do bet, I think you're going to find out you won't be able to afford not to listen. There'll be that much good information. But every fan will learn things that others are missing because that Vegas perspective is unique. And we're going to work very hard to provide it to you. And, you know, we could tell you about it, but we're going to show you today and every day. And as the intro said, we want to be the pregame show America has always wanted because from 6 to 7 Eastern time, we are leading into that night's games. And, for example, tonight in our last segment of the hour, the whole segment is previewing with picks and predictions the Monday night football game. So that's our approach. We're going to prove it to you. And if you give us a chance, I think we will deliver if you're a better or not a better. Join, joining me today in studio here in Vegas Steve Fezzik. If you don't know Steve, he's the number one NFL expert out there. You might say, oh, that's easy to say. There's a super contest. It's like the World Series of Poker or sports betting. He's the only guy to win it twice. And he did it back-to-back just to show off. We also have Brad Powers. He has all the college knowledge, as I like to say. And Brad worked for Phil Steele, big, big name in college football, for about seven years. And he certainly knows his college, and on our typical Monday shows, and we're going to do it today, we will be recapping what happened during the weekend, because in our mind, you got to understand what happened last week in order to win money this week, and now we're joined from the Fox Studios, and this is going to be every day, many of you know him, I call him the fans champ, Jonas Knox. Showtime! 
Thanks, RJ. And listen, I represent all the guys who are outside your gated community trying to guess what the code is so they can get inside. All the guys who go to a a horse racing track and take the pamphlet and they bang it on their knee for 15 minutes, hoping their $2 trifecta comes in. I'm representing the guy who does in-game betting with with $2 left in his bank account so he can afford a top ramen run at the Dollar Tree. I represent the common man. It sounds like you're speaking from experience. You damn right I am. Of course. I've walked out of casinos with empty pockets every time I've gone in, but I keep going back for more. It's that desire. It's the will. It's the dedication to the dysfunction that is poor gambling, and I represent everybody listening to this show. You guys are the 1%. I represent the 99%. I'm the voice of the fans. Well, I'll tell you this, though. I don't know when we'll get to this story, but Fezzik once slept in the steps, you know, in the casino where you have the elevator and everything. And that's what normal people <laughs> right. go up and down. Right. And they have the steps for just in case of fire and such one time to save money or cause he was broke. We'll have to find out when we tell the story, he slept on those steps. <laughs> I passed out of the slot machine. So I mean, listen, it happens. That's how it goes. Next up. We have an introduction to some of the wise guys that have joined us along our four year journey through straight out of Vegas so far. And, Talk about a little future bet that has some import here four years later with everything that's happened. But back in 2018, it was about an even money proposition. Will the great Tiger Woods ever win another major? And the boys discussed it. Steve Cofield along with R.J. Bell. And in the wise guy chair, the most famous NFL handicapper in the world, the only two-time Super Contest champion, Steve Fezzik. I said no pickles. (laughs) 92 degrees here in Vegas and the neon flowing perpetually. This is what I think. Not all of them. Not even as people. But rather as bookies. Because I'm not there at Christmas when they get their kids gifts. I don't know anything about it. I just know the way they act as bookies. True enough. And they're all crying. They're all crying today. They lost. Fez, one guy bet. 85,000 to win 1.2 mil. It's a nice Sunday for him. I mean, you and your boy would have been down cashing that ticket. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it would have been one of those great, one of those great father and son moments. So as I look at this, there's a lot of questions that jump out at you. So one is, will Tiger Woods win another major? So over under a half. If he doesn't win another one, underwins. If he wins one more, overwins. Brad, there's a betting market for this right now. What number did you say? Minus 180 is the yes. Tiger Woods will win at least one more major. All right, so you've got to bet 180 to win 100. So mathematically, they're saying, let me see, like uh, less than 66%. So they're saying like 63%, Fez. Yes. Now, you've got a different number. I do. I think it's much more likely. I have Tiger with a 75% chance to win a major, so I think that number is light there. All right, so you say minus 300. This this other sports book, where was that at? Westgate. Westgate had minus 180. Well, you know how it is here, Fez. (laughs) Whenever you make a statement, Brad, you want to jump on? No. Anyone... Why? Because you because you cry when Tiger wins. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> you know, you want to bet against him? No, Fez, you're not feeling too good about your number, are you? No, I'm feeling real good because no. Let me so tell you, you should why. be down the Westgate backing up the truck. 
well, I like the better better against you, and here's why. If I win, I'm probably going to win in the next three years. If I lose, I'm not going to have to pay you until Tiger turns 50. All right. At this point, let me introduce myself. My name is Mackenzie, and I was a fan of the dream preview of Straight Out of Vegas, of everything these guys were doing, Fez, RJ, and the boys. And so much so I became a producer. I wanted to work here, and I did. So I've seen the evolution that they've made. They've definitely sparked an evolution in my thinking and how I understand the world, let alone sports. And one of the many pieces of wisdom that has really altered the way I look at sports betting is the different kinds of wagers. Of course, we love betting on sports events, but there's also what RJ calls here preordained events or information moves, which have a whole, which are a whole different beast when it comes to betting and understanding how to approach those types of wagers. The boys discuss. Time now for pros versus Joes. Oh, I love Huey. Hit him with Huey, baby. All right. So there's certain games. The pros are on one side. The Joes, the recreational batters, are on the other. Now, remember, it's not every game. I mean, there's situations where the pros and Joes are on the same game or it's or on the same team or it's situations where the pros are sitting out. So, but there's an opportunity when there's pros versus Joes. Think of it like a tug of war. If the pros are on one side and the Joes are on the other, the pros are stronger. So the line's going to move with the pros, but it isn't going to move as fast as it would if there wasn't the resistance from the Joes. And because of that resistance, it's a situation where you can get better line value in those games. Pros on Mississippi, Joes on LSU in this one. So pros Mississippi, Joes LSU, Brad Lean are like, I lean with the pros and where the money's at. 65% of the cash, if you go to the pregame.com game center, 65% of the cash on Ole Miss, I'm going to take Ole Miss. And the reason being is just when Ed Orgeron, you think his job is safe, almost like just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water and think it's okay, let's I thought LSU. you were doing Godfather 3. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. In the same time period, 75. Yeah, but if you could, have, if you could do Godfather 3 versus... Safe to go back in the water. What's that, Jaws? Yeah, the biggest, the first summer blockbuster. You're a movie guy. You got to appreciate yeah, I, it. Listen, Jaws, Spielberg, great movie. It's all Godfather 3. And believe me, Ed Orgeron's the type of guy who would wade right in there, like, <laughs> chest popped out, like, it's all good. And then he's cut in half. Like, that's the way he was acting this week. That is not a good message to send to the team. We hear all the time on Twitter, different social media platforms, that obviously on radio, some people listen on the way home and all that, but we've got a high percentage of dedicated listeners. They want to hear every minute of it. Well, I'm speaking to you guys out there right now. And, and this is a powerful <laughs> concept when it comes to anything where there's inside information possible. So yeah. there's another example like Survivor or what's the halftime show, the first song going to be, yep. is whenever you see a favorite that seems to be a crazy big favorite, like, oh, this is nine to one, you know, minus 900, oftentimes it's a lock. Because you're going to get people saying, oh, wait, I can get plus 500. But the smart people are saying this is predetermined. So if I could just give one piece of advice on WrestleMania, and I'll tweet some of the odds out tomorrow at RJ in Vegas before the matches. But if you see a really big favor, don't be tempted by that juicy dog because it's preordained. And if you see lots of money coming in on one side, that's probably the side that's going to win. Because if information breaks. When I say preordained, it's not 
lock because they can do, as they say, a swerve sometimes. Right. But in general, if you had to choose to play a lot of big underdogs or a lot of big favorites in WrestleMania, I'd play a lot of big favorites. I was joking about the Rousey fight. The other one that has that look is Roman Reigns, minus 850 against Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar's a major star. He's plus 450. Eh, something might be cooking there. Yeah, and again, the the rumor is he might not resign. So usually those guys do the job, as they say. The best time to be bad. Listen, we embrace your humanity, your nature. I can promise you, I've had a few moments at the Rhino, for example, with chicken wings. I've been bad. I haven't been able, not. The rhino and chicken wings are separate, Fez. You're looking at me with a lot of curiosity. <laughs> and and rightfully so. That's but a visual. They're both late at night, right? But one's in front of my television and the other, yeah. Okay. So what we try to do every Friday, especially coming into the weekend, is how can you play like, uh, you know, parlays, teasers, things you have fun with and still be profitable. Here it is. Three-teamer. Three-teamer. Play the Rams. Play Minnesota and play Washington. Yes, Washington. Here's why. Imagine the following scenario. Rams get up 17-0. Chicago looks up and says, huh, we can't get the number two seed. Time to rest. Well, all of a sudden, well, we know if the Rams are up 17-0, that pick looks good. Also, Minnesota looks good now. And also, Philly looks up and says, wait a minute. The Bears are sitting down, laying down. Minnesota's up 14. What do we have to play for? So Washington looks good. Now, I get it. The Rams could lose. I'm not saying this is a short thing. What I'm saying is if the Rams do blow out and cover that big number, all of a sudden now Minnesota looks better, and all of a sudden now Washington looks better. Best time to be bad, three-teamer, Rams, Minnesota, Washington. Every year? I think pregame does a service for the world. We make the world a little bit better at tackling betting the Super Bowl because you know you're going to do it. Why not do it in a way that's going to win you some money? And the great Steve Fezzik has brought me under his wing many times to show me the ins and outs of sports betting. Never more so has he taken me under his wing or enlisted me in his army, however which way you want to put it, than Super Bowl time because that's when he needs all of his – Soldiers in a row to, you know, attack, attack these sports books because Super Bowl is a tremendous opportunity. And the guys discuss here, best way to bet it. I am going to ask a lot of dumb questions tonight. Well, that's your role. Par for the course, right? <laughs> it's, I mean, you're the square chair. Yes, yes. You're the stand in for the audience. The dumbest right out of the gates. Before we get to the Vegas lead, what do you guys, the Sharps, I've always wanted to know, what do you guys, the Sharps, do? For Super Bowl Sunday, do you just sit in front of a computer and you're trying to middle and you're playing? It's in game. Like, do you actually go somewhere? What do you do? I think Fez has the most interesting answer. So why don't you start, Mr. Fezzik? Yeah, there are no Super Bowl parties for serious professional bettors because remember, <laughs> the public is betting so much on the stuff, betting the wrong sides on Super Bowl Sunday before apps. We would be waiting in line to bet no safety, minus 600, no overtime, minus 600. And it was like a half-hour wait. And we're frantically bombing in bets like that till literally we've got no money left in our pockets. And then we'd rush home and we'd bet during the game live wagering while everyone else was drinking beers and having fun. It's not as good a lifestyle as you think it would be. With the apps now, because 
as legalization becomes very likely, and we'll tease ahead to next week, I mean, there's been a massive amount of conversation out there about the prospects of legalization. Three guys I trust, each individually said over 90% the Supreme Court's going to go legalization's way. And I think talking about and discussing where that what that means, straight out of Vegas, coast to coast, 330 stations, most of them not in Nevada, I think a lot of people are going to be interested. That's one of the things we'll be touching on next week. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. Radio. Steve Fezzik is back. Oh, we're going to get to hear about his vacation. I mean, you would think, I mean, let's be honest. There's a pandemic still on effectively. A lot of economic struggles. He hasn't hardly been able to win a bet in, what, four months? I mean, you made like 30 bets on the draft because you were so (laughs) jonesing. And still he goes on vacation. I'm already a <laughs> I mean, Jonas, it's like if you ever want to know how deep stacked someone is, you want to look when others are struggling, like when the others are feeling the pain, is that guy feeling the pain? If not, his war chest is stronger than you thought. Well, Avon said on the wire once, we'll see who has the bigger war chest. (laughs) Fez is just sitting back saying, hey, last year we took three. We're only taking one this year. That's called a recession in Fez's book. It's a great day to join the show. This is the fastest growing show on Fox Sports Radio. Our audience has doubled in the last year. Thank you so much for the support. Right now in Vegas, 108 degrees. The neon is pumping. When I don't do the show, you know, I get off contractually a set number of days. Now, last year, I didn't take all of those. But, you know, I didn't, I didn't take none. I took a few vacation days. I don't usually listen to the show because it scares me. It's like if something's going wrong, which, again, with you at the helm, it's not going to go very wrong. Probably won't go wrong at all. But you know how I am? I'm worried. And I think I'll just act like it's not happening. And I can at least relax. But last year, when I was out for vacation, the show opened up with you taking the lead. You were ready to go into the next talk, you know, first topic. And Fezzik goes, <clears throat> Jonas, quick question before we get started. Now, this is, again, I'm gone. And I'm like, what the heck? He goes, when you go to Hawaii, do you like Waikiki or the rest of the island? <laughs> And I'm thinking, if there's anything that encompasses Steve Fezzik, I mean, I'm already a multi-millionaire. It's that he starts a show where the you know the, the guy who usually leads the show isn't there, and he figures this is my chance to finally ask Jonas about when he vacations in Hawaii. Do you remember that? Yes, I do remember that. And I just, I just, I just remember thinking to myself. Nobody can relate to Steve Fezzik. Like nobody. No, well, listen, to- that's only half the because even other millionaires can't. Because yeah. it's a whole different thing. All right, Steve. So, pandemic is on. They didn't stop you from vacation. Tell us about the vacation. Well, the vacation plan was to go to Newport Beach with a backup for Carmel. 
Okay, so Newport Beach. Now, the backup would have been what? Like, what would have happened that would have led to the backup? If uh, too many COVID cases in so, Southern so, California. So you literally were looking. Now, what's the? How narrowly do they? Is it by county? Is it by? I mean, they don't go block by block, obviously. It's by, it's by county, and my wife's like got a, like a big like map of like how many cases are coming in. Now, so first, Jonas, here's what we got to realize. Now, this is a man that got married last weekend. <laughs> and it's not like a third marriage, you know, how they be, there's something you do on, you know, on the week. This was, the guy's a young man. This is, a first, this is the love of his life. He was working on Monday. Okay. He got married Saturday, right? Yes. Okay. He took Friday off, but he was working on Monday. <laughs> he didn't mention it. You got a wife at home who's... For how long did she start having the map out? Is the first question from April on. Shut up. No, I'm serious. So she's tracking like like a weather woman, but this is different. Almost like Carrie on Homeland. She's tracking on the board the cases for months about a vacation. Exactly, and she has her thresholds <laughs> for whether or not we're going to be able to go. And I got to be honest, RJ. It went from green to yellow to red on our vacation. I am Elma J. Butt, millionaire. I own a mansion and a yacht. I mean, imagine the, the, the human resources, if they had to plot how much this vacation was going to cost, if you said, okay, let's assume 20 bucks an hour even. I mean, how many hours do you think she spent on planning which, which of the very exclusive places to go based on the COVID numbers? 12 hours. I bet that's low. <laughs> did, did she scribble over your quarterback rankings to make the, uh, the chart? A <laughs> uh, lot of sun, a lot of walking around, uh, some carbs, uh, some Kona beer, uh, but a good time had by all. So it was, uh, it was, it was fun to get away for a little bit. But I'm happy to be back. So, and plus, we got football right around the corner. So, who, who isn't fired up about this? One quick lifestyle question: Waikiki or the rest of the island? Which you like better? I don't know. I mean, each look, you can't go wrong with either, but the North shore of the Island is more of the jungle side to where it's, it, they tell you that's, that's where the locals go, you know, go to the North shore. That's where you get to see real Hawaii. And then Waikiki is more of the busier downtown type style. There's a lot of foot traffic, a lot of people there. You can't go wrong either way. It just depends on what your preference is. So we split it up. We spent half the time on the North shore and then the other half in Waikiki. And we were good with that. So maybe All we'll right, bounce around to some other islands. Enough with the Jonas Knox lifestyle. Let's talk about why everyone's here. Football. Maybe no single athlete was part of the Fox Sports Radio straight out of Vegas dialogue than Dak Prescott. So many twists and turns in his saga from underappreciated to underpaid to franchise QB to franchised QB to shattered angle. What's going to happen next to big contract and everything in between the guys discuss terrible news out of Dallas yesterday. The Cowboys, the good news first, they did beat the New York Giants. They survived to win that game in Dallas, but it was the loss of Dak Prescott suffering a gruesome injury, dislocated ankle, uh, and a fracture. He went into surgery uh, last night. He is back home recovering, but clearly Dak Prescott out for the year for the Dallas Cowboys. Obviously, and the contract to me isn't the story. The guy is making 30-some million this year. I get it. You'd want generational, multi-generational wealth. But to me, it doesn't. I know we always debate about, well, this. Every time I call a game, you call it a business. And every time I call it a business, you call it a game. You look at Dak, and I, you know, sometimes I like Dak. Sometimes I'm not so crazy about him. I mean, he cares. 
You know, Michael Lombardi, friend of the show, was talking about how tough when he went down and, you know, broke his ankle that he wasn't, you know, Dak's a tough dude, you know, and I'm not one to judge NFL players how tough they are because I can't even speak to that. When you hear a guy, you know, decades in the league talking about it, he's tough. The money, he, you know, if he had the big contract, would we be uh, mourning this any less? Would we say, oh, at least he's got the big contract? To me, the question is, is he going to get back to 100%? Because I would make the case Bridgewater hasn't. And I'm no doctor. I'm not judging the injury type. I mean, Jonas, do you have any sense of any comparables on this injury? I thought Gordon Hayward, NBA, uh, but that took like it, two years. Yeah, and and you know, there, there's a lot of people who think, well, you know, he's still maybe not even the same player as he was. Now, mm. it, you know, in the NBA, maybe it's a bigger deal because you know it is a constantly running, pounding your your feet, cutting and and driving. Um, I wonder what this does to his mobility, which was always an X factor for Dak. Yeah, he's physical. His physicality as yeah. a quarterback for Dak's been key. Yeah, and I think that saved him in a lot of places. I think it saved him in, in games this year to where you know they were able to get back into games because, and you've talked about this. You know, you get to a playoff game, everything's on the line. Quarterbacks are more likely to run because it's desperation time. Now I wonder what this does to his desperation when those moments arise. There's something about if they always say the fact that we're mortal, the fact that we eventually, as human beings, die, is the only thing that allows you to appreciate time. Because if you had unlimited time, oh, you wasted a year banging around the village, wasted a year, I don't know, being Fez's gopher, and then he stiffs you at the. Well, not that you would do that. <laughs> what? But, <laughs> that'd be like no big deal. I have infinite time, and. We don't, obviously. And then if you think about it, it's so much of a long shot to be great, to be great at anything. And you know what? As soon as you're great, take a picture, take a breath, because at least the way this world seems to be, soon enough, you're going to be thinking about how it was. And if it's age, Tom Brady, greatness, is he great now? I'm not sure. Is Dak ever going to be great again? I hope so, but it's fleeting. At the end of Patton, when Patton won it all, <laughs> not the Super Bowl, WW2, <laughs> it was the, uh, the very story at the end, the slave whispering in the emperor's ear, glory is fleeting. And it's the way of humanity, but it still makes us sad because even though we're not Dak, we're not that person at the height we're living through him. He's a human being like we are. And you know, there's something joyous about that. And there's something sad but realistic about how short and fleeting it is. It's about six months into my tenure here as a producer on Straight Out of Vegas, an employee here at pregame.com. And the boys were in Florida, Miami, for Super Bowl 54 when one of the great athletes of my generation, Kobe Bryant, passed away. And it was shocking, and it was startling. And it, it was the only thing that anyone wanted to talk about, rightfully so, on that February morning. And unlike any other show, we discussed it from a Vegas perspective, which is really saying from trying to get at it, at the truth and the meaning of what happened, which can be difficult with such a tragedy like the death of Kobe Bryant. RJ did it. RJ explains, what does Mother Teresa, 
and Kobe Bryant have in common? Spoiler alert, they were both human. RJ explains. From the Vegas Strip, here's RJ Bell. Hey guys, we are live from Radio Row. Obviously a somber day. Exciting to be in Miami, but you can feel the somberness, obviously with the tragedy with Kobe. And what we're going to do is we're going to try to speak from the heart, right? One of the beauties, I think, of radio is you get to know the people you listen to. There's an intimacy about it. And when you decide to listen straight out of Vegas, you're saying that the Vegas guys, Jonas, there's something about their personality. We might like it. We might hate it. There's something about it that interests me. So what our goal is, yeah, we're going to look at the tragedy from an analytical, not like numbers, but rather a logical perspective. Like, what does it mean about the existential questions of life, how it can literally end at any time without notice? Yeah. But also personally, you know, we're fans too. What did it mean to us personally? What has it meant? All right. So here's what I want to do. I want to go around the horn. And I want everyone to just say, as a fan, as a human being, you don't even have to be a fan, what was the emotions? And let's start with Jonas. Uh, I just, as somebody who's lost family members, um, uh, close, immediate family members multiple times, instantly that same feeling came back. It's like uh, people talk about how if you suffer an injury, when you see an athlete suffer the same injury, you know exactly what they're feeling because it brings back that memory and that feeling in that moment. And when I saw it happen, my immediate reaction was, oh, wow, there are so many family members, not just Kobe Bryant's family, but the other family and the victims on the plane. They're now going to feel that same thing that I know all too well, and I just... I hate it for him. It's it's terrible. It's tragic. It's so sad when you think about a guy who really has progressed after his NBA career into into a great businessman and winning an Oscar and then you know uh, being a, a, a dad and, and grooming his daughter to, to play basketball and their relationship and the fact that they were both lost amongst nine victims and a helicopter crash not far from where I live, which just was sort of surreal and it, it still doesn't seem real. So it was more not your loss of Kobe, but putting yourself in the shoes of his family. Yeah, because of the fan stuff, the basketball stuff, um, you know, he had retired and, and his, his playing career doesn't change. He wasn't in the middle of his playing career. We still have that career in totality and in full, but his life, the most important part of it, is now gone. And that's the part that shook me the most. Yeah, that's a, that's a very, I mean, it's a very... Um, thoughtful approach right because i think humans are by nature self-involved and some more than others but thinking about your own pain and and really it's funny because if you do stop and and not funny but if you do stop and think about his wife i mean it's it's terrible yeah i mean just if one or the other had been lost it's terrible but the idea of both i mean uh and and it's not it not that if someone's sick, it's ever just okay if they die. But when, you know, I'm lucky enough that, you know, I've had uh, only two grandparents uh, that were very, like, second parents to me pass away. And it was tough. But every one of them, you knew a year before that it was coming, you know, to yeah. the end. And it 
in a way, I think you grieve a little bit every day, yeah. right? But the idea of super, you know, a child and a super healthy adult, and then one second it all changes. It's even it's incomprehensible, I think. And when you think about the fact that I mean, these daughters are gonna not have a dad to walk them down the aisle on their weddings, um, you know, at, or at their uh, at their marriages um, or in their weddings. Uh, you see, Christmases are never going to be the same. Thanksgivings are never going to be the same. I mean, lives were not just the ones that perished, but multiple hundreds, if not thousands of lives were impacted and possibly ruined uh, because of one moment in time that we can never get back. That's Jonas Knox. I'm RJ Bell. Straight out of Vegas, coming to you from Miami all week. Radio Row. Great stuff, Jonas. I, I, I'm kind of interested. Do you get really philosophical like at 3.30 in the morning on the weekends? Like, <laughs> um, well, it, it depends It depends on how Knox Locks goes. Uh, if, uh, if I've had a bad run, which I tend to do, I start to di- dive deeper into some other emotions because clearly the gambling ones aren't paying off. So. so let's go to Vegas and Brad Power. Same thing. Speak from the heart. Made me more uh, aware about my own mortality, RJ. Kobe's only a few years older than me. And well, you look much older than him. <laughs> yeah, I, that's fair <laughs> enough. Uh, and, you know, in, in, when you're in college, you're in your 20s and even early 30s. I mean, you feel that invincibility. And, and you know, when, when stuff like this happens to people that you grew up with, because Kobe only being a couple old years older than me, and, and to see them come and gone, not only the, their career, but now his life, to me, it just it's stuff I didn't even think about 10 years ago now crosses my mind on a regular basis, my own mortality. So, Jonas, this is exactly the self-involved take I expected, right? <laughs> he's, like, he's like, how does this affect me? <laughs> he's, like, he's in the middle of a fast. I've been there. You know, it, it can throw you off a little bit. And, and, Brad, just think of it like this. You're not the kind of guy that if you did one bench press, your, your rib cage would explode, right? So, I mean, you're not, not that yet. old yet. Not yeah. yet. <laughs> no, listen, we're only joking because it's so true, meaning that we all look at things through the lens of our lives, right? And sometimes, you know, in a way, Jonas, your uh, seemingly altruistic, like worried about them was really coming from your experience, right? Yeah. Under, you know, and that's all we got is our experiences. Yeah. And hopefully, if we're able to live our lives with that reality, but still be good to the world around us, that's the challenge. We all, Mother Teresa was self-interested because she enjoyed, she was satisfied by helping others. So yeah, others got helped, but for her, it was a good thing too. People don't do things that aren't good things. Even the guy that takes 10 years in prison because he doesn't want to rat on his buddy is doing it for himself. Yeah. His own self-image, his own uh, code, whatever it is, right? Uh, Ayn Rand, last name R-A-N-D, who wrote Atlas Shrugged, the famous book, Libertarians Like. She has a lesser-known book titled The Virtue of Selfishness. And it's like a philosophical treatise, but it talks about that concept. Is ultimately, no matter how... Uh, altruistic, how generous an action is. It's because that person is satisfied by generosity, which means that's a good person. That doesn't in any way take away from Mother Teresa. It embraces the reality of it. I'm R.J. Bell. All right, Steve Fezzik thought. Now, Fez was thinking, let me guess. There was some thought of going, you know, it's kind of like Gecko. 
you know, he was on short NASA 20 minutes after the Challenger exploded. <laughs> Were you thinking, is there any way to bet this or was it human? You know, there, I was thinking there were ways to bet, and I don't want to get into that uh, yesterday, that, but this morning. Uh, well, well, let's tease ahead. At 646 Eastern, we'll be discussing those things. Go ahead. This morning, when I took my little boy to school, I noticed that a lot more parents were walking their children into the courtroom, uh, the courthouse, uh, the courtyard, excuse me, instead of just dropping them off. And I noticed that the hugs lasted longer and the kisses were more prevalent. And it really hit home that how an event like this can really impact society in general. You mean where people through the shared experience are thinking about things differently? Exactly. Now, would you say, Fez, that inherent in your story unspoken is that you are there every day doing that good fatherly thing but the others it took a tragedy like this to get him there i did not say that and in fact but, this well, morning, hold on a second you know you said i noticed there were more parents which implies you're there every day to assess the ebbs and flows of the others well, I'm there enough to be able to assess it, but I will say that I volunteered to take Johnny to school today instead of mom. Straight out of Vegas endured a time of great uncertainty in American history, and we did it with fun and with pep and with sports betting information and advice all the way throughout. But April 2020, a month after everything was shut down, we talked about what there was to talk about, which was civil unrest COVID, life, and everything in between on Straight Out of Vegas. Now, yesterday we spent more than half the show talking about the unrest, the protest, and all of that. And I felt like that we filled in a space with Straight Out of Vegas that was, that was em- no, I don't know, empty is the word, but we had some angles, I think, and perspectives that were fresh and we got a lot of good feedback on that. Thank you so much. And like anything, you're going to, you know, the Godfather, some people think it stinks. I mean, as crazy as that is, but it was very encouraging. I believe the following to whatever degree that Monday was unusual, as in, well, you know, it's a sports show, but you got to talk about this because it's such a big deal. It's so unusual. And the fact that we did for more than half the show, we agreed with that. Producers, everything. It was like, yeah, this is noteworthy. needs talked about. Whatever side you're on. I think today is more unusual. You might say, what do you mean? It's like, if you would have told me how many times in the next 10 years will there be unrest that you know, starts midweek, doesn't matter if it's left or right that's not happy it's none of that it's saying in this political system democracy republic united states has how unusual is x or y that it would then get into a sports show where it would get in you know it's almost like what sporting events get on the nightly news it's a high bar if you would have said how many times will would have happened generally happened in the next 10 years and then say, how many times will what happened yesterday, Monday, throughout the day and the night happen? I would say what happened Monday was less likely. It will be less common. I hope that this kind of unrest never happens again. But history tells us that's unrealistic to think so. And that's lamentable, but it just is. And we look square in the eye of truth 
here because if you don't do that, you can't win at gambling. And that's just in our blood, even when we apply it to other things. I'm R.J. Bell. We are straight out of Vegas. Always good to be here, RJ. And yes, on a day in which the Indianapolis 500, another major sporting event, has been postponed. And you've got people around the world of sports wondering when or if their leagues will get starting here as it would be opening day in Major League Baseball. What is the Vegas lead here on this Thursday? Well, let me ask you a question first. Do you get a sense in the last ooh, 72 hours the amount of optimism has gone way up when it comes to... You know, starting with Cuban talking about over under June 1st and he would take the under. I mean, that that means May. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it just feels like, you know, the stock market went up massively a couple of days ago and the market usually has the future pretty figured out, just like the sports books do. But even on a bigger scale, do you sense one generally more optimism and how are you feeling? Um, I am sort of the same. Uh, I, I've just sort of gotten used to this is what it is, and I, I don't know who to really trust as far as who's out there that's going to give you their side of things or whether or not there's a political angle to it or whatnot. So it just depends on what, what news station you're watching and, and who you're looking at on Twitter, and everybody's got varying opinions. Mm, I agree. Uh, and, and I don't think anyone knows for sure, but right. as a, a betting man, I my optimism has gone up. And and I do think that's a great lesson is who has the most to gain from having all the information. Uh, for example, the sports books spend a lot of money to make sure they got the injuries, they got the weather. It's going to be hard to beat the market when it comes to that kind of news. When it comes to industry investments, the stock market, the financial markets are just massive. I mean, a lot of sports bettors are failed guys that couldn't make it on Wall Street because it's just a different level with the amount of money that can be made. It's, you know, there's guys, I mean, you know, MIT type guys, they're 27, 28 years old that make 1.2 million on Wall Street. I mean, it's just crazy. And again, we can debate if that's right or not. What we know for sure is it's happening now. Remember, Jonas, when the virus wasn't a big story yet, really, it was one of those, oh, over in China, the market started going down days before it was really being discussed as widely. And in general, just like I believe for sports, Vegas is a leading indicator. You can tell the future through the odds. I think that's the case in the economy, the general U.S. marketplace, which is something interesting to know. You don't even have to own a stock to potentially benefit from the market, giving you hints about the future. I'm RJ Bell. We are straight out of Vegas. The Vegas lead, to me, it's Dallas Cowboys, Dak Prescott, back at the negotiating table. Yeah, that according to Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network, who said the Cowboys and quarterback Dak Prescott have re-engaged in long-term contract talks. Wake the kids, alert the neighbors, grandpa put on pants, here we go. Another rousing edition of Inside the Frater House. You know, Woody Allen said it best. 90% of success is just showing up. Vegas stories, record-breaking Super Bowl bets, Mattress Mac out of Texas, and of course the famous Let It Ride World Series better. Nobody had better, more accurate, more up-to-date, more knowledgeable reporting than Straight Out of Vegas on all the biggest betting stories around the world. And this is some exclusive reporting we had on the World Series Let It Ride Better.
RJ, you've been all over this story. All right, so how legitimate is it that one guy has $8 million that he bet on the Dodgers last night? The idea of is this happening is 100%. As in multiple sources of mine, everyone I trust telling me the same things, just different people telling me the same things. It's impossible that this isn't true. Now, here's the question. Is it 8 million? Is it 7.9? Is it 8.1? That kind of stuff I can only piece together. But the story in general is amazing and true. A fellow who was pretty unknown. So this is, we do have some information on this guy. Younger than 30, Eastern European in both appearance and accent. And he has gone from game one through game six. All right. So how much did he originally put down game one? You know, that one I've heard 500,000 is where he started. I also heard on Fox LA, somehow they were reporting 400 K this morning. And I'm thinking, I didn't report that. Where are they getting that from? So I don't know. I would make a major bet. The 500 K is right, but it's in that range. Okay. So you start with four or $500,000. And you build up to last night eight million dollars. So as of now, the the as of now the the rake is what fourteen or so million is what he has won. And the plan was, and he went around saying this the entire time he's been betting. And remember, a lot of people on Twitter are like, "Wait a minute, no sports book is going to take eight million on one game." Well, true, that is true in almost any case. But he's gone up and down the strip trying to get. 50,000 here, 500,000 there, a million there, and adding it up. Now, the question is, how does he get 14 on this bet? Because as he's gone up and down the strip, he said, our plan is to bet all seven games. Now, it's got to be another question. How did he know there was going to be seven games? Right? But he's picked the winner every time. So it's a little scary. And, and Doug, here's the thing that blows my mind the most. There's a sports book in town called the South Point. All right, so it's a book that's that's been pretty ambitious lately trying to get more business. So here's what happens. The guy walks in, and he's known at this point, right, because he's been betting at these books now for five games. This is for the sixth game he walks in. This is uh, before, you know, yesterday's game. And all the books talk amongst themselves, right? I can't specifically say in this case, but let's just say I would make a major bet that all the books, the minute one of the, the guy bets at one place, they're calling all their buddies saying, hey, he's on so-and-so. And yesterday it was the Dodgers, right? He was on the Dodgers. The minute he walks in, as I've been told, they move the line in the Dodgers match. So at that point in that game, the Dodgers were plus 100. So 100 wins you 100. They were even money. Houston was a small favor. Got it. A few minutes later, once he walks in, the line was minus 150 on the Dodgers before he even bet. So him walking in the room caused them to move the line. Now, what's fascinating is, and this is quite frankly potentially unethical, they didn't move the Houston odds. So the Houston stayed at plus 115. So if you wanted to bet Houston, you were getting the same odds as if that guy hadn't walked in. But because he walked in, it went to 150 on the Dodgers. So that straddle, the difference, is something you never see. Minus 150, plus 115. But they're so scared of this guy, they just drastically moved the number to try to exploit him. Now here's the amazing part. He walked up, bet at the minus 150 like he didn't care, shrugged, walked out the door. 
and then they moved the odds back to minus 120 when he walked out. And it was like he knew that he was going to win. He didn't care if he had to lay the 150. I've never seen anything like this. Mm. Vegas, please. Instantly become a better better listening to Straight Out of Vegas. It's that simple. More advice coming your way. All right, Fazzy, let's do it. I'm going to let you start, and then when you fall short, and I don't think you necessarily will. I'm cautiously optimistic. I'll jump in. Do and don't, number one. Do look to bet two-sided props. There's only two possible outcomes. All right, so over-under number of yards from a homes, over-under rushing yards. But there's other things, right? So give some examples of two-sided that aren't an over-under a stat. So will Tom Brady throw an interception, yes or no? Now, why is it important to be two-sided? Because there, the bookie can't hide extra vig because you're laying a dollar ten in each direction. If he wants to charge you more, you or see. Or maybe it. they're laying more. Yeah, dollar ten in each direction, a twenty cent straddle. So it might be minus one fifty plus one thirty. That is obvious. If he goes beyond that, you got twenty twenty five. Let's use an example: first touchdown props. Buried in there, oftentimes there's going to be 30, 40% VIG. What's the VIG on minus 110, minus 110? Less than 5%. So think about it. They're charging you six, seven times as much vigorish, oftentimes when you're doing the multiple possible winners, the many possible winners. Don't forget, this is an overarching rule of betting. Bookies are cockroaches. Cockroaches, yeah. It's true. I wish it weren't, but it's true. As fun as it is to win a big bet, to have a best bet winner, I think the real magic, the best moments of Straight Out of Vegas came when there was a wager or a concept that was off the board. You couldn't necessarily bet it, but using those same techniques, that same logical approach, RJ and the crew were able to delve in some stories and uncover really what was in between the lines. I think we did it uh, with amazing accuracy on these next two stories. The first one was the surprising and uh, confusing retirement of Tom Brady, which in hindsight, the boys were very much sniffing the track on the, br- on the, <laughs> on the breadcrumbs of this trail, and we got the answer eventually. Here's what the boys said immediately after Brady supposedly retired. This is going to seem kind of conspiracy theory. I don't think this makes any sense, AJ, that he retired. He was on record, Tom Brady, of saying, I want to play till 45. Now, he also was on record as saying that I'll stop playing when I don't think I can win a Super Bowl. Now, I don't know where you rank Brady's performance this most recent year. I think he should be MVP. But would you agree that Tom Brady was one of the five best quarterbacks in football this season? Yes. I don't even think it's a debate. No, I don't think it is either. Okay. How can it be a guy, and let's say you got to be a top 10 quarterback in order to win a Super Bowl. And I think generally that's true. There's going to be exceptions, but nine out of 10 years, I think that's true. Again, that's going to be interesting with, you know, Stafford top 10, yes. Burrow top 10, yes. And so now we just got the two and they're both top 10. Odds are Brady would have been top 10 next year. How is it that very soon after the season, 
so soon that the Super Bowl hasn't even been played, so soon that it gets announced even before the conference championships, so soon that it was less than, let's think about this, they got beat in the first round, or I'm sorry, this, the, the uh, let me think, the divisional round, right? Because they beat Philadelphia. Yep. So that means within six days of losing, the uh, the leak leads Schefter and Darlington to, to, to break the story. He's retiring. How is it that a guy would do this? One, he said in his statement, I wish that this didn't distract, detract from, distract from, the championship games that were coming up on Sunday, on Saturday. Were people talking championship games on Sunday? You know, no. On Saturday, they were talking about Brady. He didn't want that. How could it be that he made such a quick decision when the criteria of his decision, can I win a Super Bowl and then I want to play to 45? If I would have said to you, AJ, his season during his 44th year, Tom Brady is going to be top five in the NFL. He'll be one season away from his goal, his stated goal of 45, and he's going to retire within a week of losing in the playoffs. What odds would you have given me on that? He smells. Now, RJ, if we find out before the season that Bruce Arians is gone, does it all does it all make sense, or do all the pieces come together? No, because one him. Now, listen, if he wanted to cover up. Because remember, Arians blew out his Achilles. So by all accounts, he's kind of, uh, I won't say all accounts. By some accounts, Arians is, I think by our eyes, he's a gruff person. He likes to say things <laughs> that other people don't say, right? But it strikes me that he said more negative things about Brady in two years than Belichick did in 20. So we know that part. He said negative stuff, more negative stuff about Brady since he retired in those couple weeks, 40 days, I guess it was, than Belichick has in the two years since Brady left him. So there's something about Arians that can, I think, rub some people the wrong way. Other people love that he like drinks beer and says goofy things. I, you know, I, I grew up with a lot of people like that. I don't need that. Right? I got that stuff. <laughs> Almost everyone's dad was like that. But the fact is, I don't think Brady would want to seem like he was pushing him out. And maybe that's what happened. Maybe he had the intention to go back to San, to go to San Fran at some point. He asked, he told the ownership, that's why I'm retiring. And then at some point, Arian said, you know something, I'm just going to retire myself. And, and, and Brady, you come back and the owner, however it worked, you come back. I'll wait a month and then I'll retire because of my health and the Achilles, you know, and he put on weight because of that or something. Who knows? But what I'm saying is Brady doesn't want to look like he's manipulating who's coaching. And if it was a do or die, like, you know, may, or maybe he gets traded to San Fran. Still, maybe this is the step to, to hide the fact. This is the step maybe to hide the fact that it was about Arians. Again, I'm purely trying to grasp at straws. I'm but not then Bruce say- Arians came out and said we would never trade Tom Brady. I mean, maybe that's why the problems have started with this. That's why the problems have started, right? But if Arians is the coach of the Tampa Bay Bucks, the last game of this season, and Brady's their quarterback, man, I, I'm going to say I got to read everything ever written about this team to figure it out because nothing else makes sense. All right, yeah, let's do, it's, it's very. Oh, good, AJ. Wrap up that this part of it. No, I was just saying it is very confusing. It's hard to put the pieces together, and it feels like there's got to be more information that we're just not privy to yet. 
I agree. So we'll keep, stay tuned. We're going to keep on this one. When we come back, what does this mean to who's going to win the Super Bowl? And what does this mean when it comes to free agency? Because the Brady effect is affecting things. To me, I think we all agree, and Mackenzie, I think you'd agree, as cousin Kyle Shanahan's your first cousin, is that Brady with the 49ers is a better team than Brady with the Bucks, And we're speculating to some degree because of free agency. Would, do you agree with that? Yes, I agree with that. And you agree that Brady gives the 49ers a better chance this season that he would than Trey Lance? Yes, I agree with that. And Tom Brady, he, the greatest quarterback of all time, I would prefer for this season. Or you season could say a guy who recently was retired because he was too aged. <laughs> right? So, so, I mean, uh, another factor in this, to wrap up kind of what it means for the league's odds, is the idea that just having one less good team, with, now Tampa's a viable winner and San Fran's a viable winner. If Brady's on San Fran... Tampa doesn't exist as a viable team to win the Super Bowl. And thus, that's an advantage, too, to win it. It's just a better—Brady's making another team viable, even though it's his own team. He could have eliminated one of the teams, San Fran, that he has to compete against. But we'll see what happens. All right, so, AJ, we've already identified Brady had the best season of anyone in history that would have uh, retired at quarterback— he, uh, I mean, I'm saying unequivocally the best season. No quarterback that retired ever played as well as Brady did last year. And we also agree that this doesn't make a lot of sense, that there's some stuff that just doesn't go together. How, Other than now we're going to shift to the rest of the NFL, how would you put a button on this? I mean, like you said, I think the, the key takeaway is it makes the Buccaneers a viable contender again when they weren't. They, we had written them off. We talked about them a, a, a week ago saying they were a team that if they didn't upgrade at quarterback, they were a non-factor in, in, the, in the Super Bowl odds. And not only did they, you know, did they go out and upgrade their situation, they, they got probably the best thing that they could have gotten because Tom Brady, retired Tom Brady is greater than any other quarterback option on the market this year By or far, most not- years for that matter. For this year, that is that's a great point. Deshaun Watson, maybe long term, forgetting the off field stuff for a second. You could make the case that even a Mahomes or or you could make the case Aaron Rodgers played better the last two years, which he has. So you would say, well, Aaron, but if you add in, we're not talking about future years and that the integration time with a new quarterback would have been a tr- troublesome. Brady is the best quarterback on earth that could quarterback Tampa Bay. This might be the most brilliant thing I've ever heard that A.B. did. I'm saying the thing about the uh, wanting him to go in. Because think about that a second. What's the one thing that could have been a dispute that the player getting that upset? Because you could make the case, you know, I, I knew if I didn't have my pads on, they couldn't force me to go in. So I, I wasn't thinking it through. I was enraged because I was thinking about my like walking like with my kids down the aisle. If somehow I hurt myself because, you know, <laughs> listen, it's not that far fetched in back. It wasn't that long ago that, you know, shoot it up. You know, they force, you know, not force, but a lot of co- coercion about players playing when they didn't want to play. I, I have zero or less than one percent that, that this was the cause in my mind. But isn't it something he can hang his hat on? I suppose so, but it, the kind of the deal in the NFL is if you're 
if you're if you're able to go that day, then you're able to go. Well, You've got to be off, ready to go when they first call. First off, you. there is no deal. The players decide if they want to play. So now, if a player doesn't play. They can cut them. They can react to it, but they can't force you to play. Well, and that's what that's what the the story said was that he said you're either going in the game or you're not on this team, and that's when Antonio Brown decided to not be on this team. If, if that if that is true, wow, wow. If that and you said you you think one less than one percent that that is the true story, because well, it's funny. The reason I said that off the cuff was because I heard. Arians say, yeah, I tried, or I read, I think it was The Athletic, not Mike Sando. It was saying something about uh, a variation that that, uh, uh, the coach was saying, hey, he was trying to, the case was made that Bruce Arians was trying to entice him to go back in. And, but that wasn't. It, but it was it was like after he he started getting upset about other things. So it was almost like saying, "Hey, let's just settle down, go play." Was the way I took it to be. It's kind of interesting that wow. Now, wouldn't AB put that if it was true? Wouldn't he put that out immediately on social media? That's I mean, knowing Antonio Brown, yes, he would. But even I mean, anyone you know, like if you have a something that could be a legal issue, what do you do? You you write a letter to your or you write an email to your attorney to memorialize it, whatever it is. And this is good. listen, I'm not giving legal advice, but I watched a lot of L.A. law back in the day, and I watched pretty much the whole O.J. trial. So what I'll say is, and use that as my credentials. Is I don't think getting into an Ivy League law school but not going counts, right, AJ? Uh, uh, yeah, I think it does kind of count. RJ, he's RJ Bell Esquire. I'm AJ Hoffman. This okay, is Vegas. okay. All right. <laughs> I'm not from like the 1870s, but okay. But but what I would say is, anytime there's something that happens, if you can, and, and remember when Trump was having trouble with one of the uh, what was his name, Case or Comey, is Comey had all these. Uh, contemporaneous letters is what they call it, uh, or document, where at the time you go back from a meeting and you write it down and you sign it, you send it to someone. So it's it's that day. It's There's no proof that you're not lying, but at least it wasn't made up after the fact is the whole point, right? And you would think Brown would get that out there immediately because let's say that that's true, AJ. Let's say that's true. They said... You go back in the game, even though, and parenthetically, even though you don't believe that you're physically capable, that you believe you're in danger. Right? They didn't say that. But if a prof- AB never had trouble going on the field, right? I mean, he was never known as a Steelers fan. He was, you know, I can tell you, he was never known as a guy that, that nursed injuries. A malingerer, no. Yeah, no, that's a good word. And and so I'm not saying this is true, but what I'm saying is if they said that and he's thinking, wait a minute, I've already got the, you know, a lot of the world against me, this COVID card, you know, situation, I, who knows what his financial situation is, right? He's thinking maybe my kids are going to have trouble eating, you know, at least you know, they might have to eat normal food and not like gourmet food. And then you're told, go back in, in your choices, your your financial well-being or your physical well-being. I mean, that's like 1968 stuff there. Yeah. 
And I mean, do you? But has that's that been, coal miner stuff, RJ? I mean, I, even the unions won't let that happen. <laughs> uh, so let me ask you, and, and all no jokes, is if that were true, if AB, you know, said I don't think I can play physically, and they say go back in or you're off the team, what do you think? With the voice of Betting the NBA playoffs is often a cross-section between betting game lines and betting the series and what each tells you. Rarely is there a hidden mystery in what those lines are telling you. But in Game 1, 2020, Lakers at Phoenix, there was such a mystery. The boys delve into it, figure out what's going on. With the voice of Vegas, your host, R.J. Bell. Now let's think about what that Game 1 line means. And let's think about how you can convert a game line into a series price. So home court advantage, typically in the NBA playoffs, we'd say three and a half points. Since the fans are going to be less than 100% capacity, we'll bring it down. I think it's fair to say two, two and a half. And I would make that based on the team uh, and, and their general home court. Phoenix, mm, I'm going to say two. Because it's remember, it's not just how good the home team is at home. It's how good the road team is on the road. And the Lakers, with a massive amount of experience uh, with LeBron. Now, obviously, if you think it through and you say, wait a minute, I'm confused. Phoenix Suns are favored by more than their home court advantage, meaning more than two points. They're a three-point favor. Why aren't they favored in the series? Think about it. If you say in game one of a series, the home team is favored by more than the road team or more than the home court advantage, what does that tell you? It tells you the home team is the better team. Now, if the home and away team are even with home court, it might be maybe minus 130 now. It usually it's minus 160. But again, home court's down. So let's say if these were even Steven teams, Phoenix's home court may be minus 135 in the series. But somehow they're plus 130, except the line in game one says they're a better team. The only way this makes sense, the only way, is the belief that whatever it is that ails the Lakers, if it's LeBron not being 100%, if it's a lack of cohesion amongst the players that haven't played all that much, that it's supposed to get better as the series progresses. Nothing else makes sense to me. Does anyone else see any reason how you can have the Lakers, the road team, the seventh seed, favored in the series, and the home team, Phoenix, be favored by more than home court advantage in game one? Anyone see it? McKenzie, you see it? No, it's got to be the anticipation that the Lakers can get back to that championship level. Do you see any rationale for that, Jonas? The only thing I can think of is that they expect the Lakers to be a little fatigued coming off an emotional game against the Golden State War or against uh, the Warriors the other night. but, But three days rest? That's that. That's the only thing I can think. Of. And I wonder, and if you bring up the point where, all right, so the Suns are expected to win this game, but they're expected to lose the series. So yes. what is what is the series price going to be if Phoenix wins this game and they only need three more to win the series? See, I think game one is actually a huge game, especially for Phoenix. Because if they lose game one, yeah. 
for whatever reason, this kind of disconnect between game run and the rest of the series is they wouldn't even take advantage of that. And then who is going to be demoralized more? The team that had the number two, that worked hard, that played hard. It wasn't just for my big bet cash it was to win the Pacific. <laughs> it wasn't just that. Th- I mean, literally, from my estimate, a thousand plus people betting it across the country. Some getting better odds than me at 12 to 1, which I don't like, but I do. I wish I had it too. But the fact of the matter is, they played hard to be the number two seed. If they lose the home court advantage and the momentum of the series in the first game, oh man, I think that's demoralizing. I'm not great. I mean, first off, I, I wouldn't even guess on this one because it's so irrational. What is it? So no one, there is no rational reason. No. That Phoenix now now what we do need to say is betting markets though they should be correlated are not a hundred percent correlated. You'll see us meaning correlated means one affects the other, and this is like back in the old days uh, they used to arbitrage like soybeans because the guys that had computers that were super fast could buy soybeans in the Middle East, sell them in Chicago, and make like a half a cent per order, but they're doing it millions of times and they make money. That's how the old school hedge funds used to do it. Now the markets are so efficient. It's hard to do that in the financial world. Here, though, you could make the case a different group of people are betting the series price than the group of people betting the game. So thus, one group that's betting the game could say, oh, yeah, Phoenix is the better team. Phoenix all the way by three. Yeah, that makes sense. The other group could say, oh, no, no, no. Phoenix is the number two seed, but the Lakers are better. But here's my question. Who's sharper, the game batters or the series price batters? My sense is, I, I kind of feel like, the I don't know. I, I don't think I've ever been so confused about a game <laughs> in a series. Because in general, a lot of people just don't bet series prices. Like for every $30, $20 better, they're not betting series price. They're betting the game they're going to watch on TV. So that makes me think that the series is a more savvy market. And that's I would say, okay, the squares are going with on the game. And the Sharps are going in the series. But then if you think about it, the public loves to bet the Lakers no matter what. So they're betting the game just as much. I got to tell you something. I'm befuddled. <laughs> the mystery was that many bettors were privy to the information that LeBron James had might, might have been exposed to COVID at a party right before this game. That was unbeknownst to the media, but it was known to several officials in the NBA, and definitely to a few sharp bettors who were slamming Phoenix in Game 1, despite the fact that the Lakers had much better odds for the series. There's always a story. There's always truth. That's why they call it the Vegas truth. We're just trying to figure it out. I think we do a pretty good job at it. We did in this case. Now, what I know for sure is this game, and I'm R.J. Bellwar straight out of Vegas, and you know something? I don't often quote Plato, but... As Plato said through the mouth of Socrates, a man who knows what he doesn't know, knows a lot. What does the past tell us about the future? I don't believe that Arizona is the best team in the NFL. And you know what? It's not even all that debatable. Right now, Arizona this week is playing Cleveland. 
Now, do you think Cleveland's the second best team in the NFL? They are not. They are not. They just lost. They lost to Kansas City. That's only won two games. <laughs> All right. So Cleveland's good, but they're not the best team. Probably top ten-ish. They're they actually uh, pretty I close. Think better to- than that. Yeah, okay. I'd, I'd put them eighth. You know, in that range. But you're right. Not in the top five. Inside the top ten is Cleveland, and Cleveland at home is favored by two and a half. Home field, two and a half these days. Browns, that's right. Yeah, two and a half. So literally what, what the market is saying is Cleveland is an even team with Arizona, which means Arizona is not the best team. Arizona, who I also consider to be in that not top five, but probably top 10 range. I think that's right. And, and since it's both Arizona and Cleveland, the market saying are even teams, that speaks that, hey, they're probably in that same range. Now, listen, in a given week, there might be situational advantages. Teams playing a bunch of road games. Teams got injuries. These teams both seem to be pretty much at parity at their normal level. And Cleveland and Arizona are even. Both okay. of them maybe banged up quarterbacks, nursing their quarterbacks a little bit on the sidelines this weekend. Well, well listen, when you're five foot seven, you're going to be banged up <laughs> in the NFL. I mean, I, I, that's part of the problem, perhaps, with Arizona. We'll get into that as the season progresses. Another, this is what squares are saying. The question becomes, are we seeing the beginning of the end of one Drew Brees? So let me ask you, I test only, what do you see this year with Drew Brees? He looks like he's aged, uh, and he and looks like he's aged in, in a way that looks closer to what Peyton Manning looked like towards the end than what Tom Brady's looking like right now. The best part of Straight Out of Vegas is breaking through the noise to tell you what they're not telling you. That is the Vegas truth, exposing... The other truth, the fake truth, the media truth. So I'll let RJ explain it a lot better than I could, but I'll just add this. When RJ says at the end, I'll add this. Me neither. Me neither, RJ. Me neither. I'll let RJ explain. Honestly, not trying to be politically correct, but if I would have asked you how much do the leagues, would they be willing to say, yeah, you know, this isn't best for the health of our players, but financially, we need to do it. Because we all know money matters. Do you think that, the, and let's use the NBA, for example. Do you think when Adam Silver sits there so sanctimonious about the health of the players, is that something he really feels? Or do you feel like, oh, he wishes he could do that, but sometimes money's going to win? I think Adam Silver's always been on the side of the players. I think he's always tried to be a players commissioner. He's always tried to be a guy who was going to support the players and speak openly and defend the players as much as possible. I've felt this whole time the owners are the ones that really wanted to get back because they were going to feel the financial ramifications more so than anybody, and it was the players that were less, that were more hesitant to want to jump back in. I think that's a fair assessment. Now, here's Buker on the herd. Listen. If we want our sports to continue as we know them in some form or fashion, we have to get back to playing. And everybody knew it. You can't not have an NFL season unless you're willing to say, we're just starting from scratch on all these because all the TV money goes. And The whole salary cap structures are completely destroyed. You'd have to blow up the collective bargaining agreement. They're going to find a way to resume this season and get it back in place. Because if you don't, then it's very difficult to have the structure that you need to play next season. Buker on the herd. Now think about those words. Blow up. Destroy. Difficult to even play next season. Everybody knew it. So what Rick Buker is saying is... 
that if at all possible, they were going to play this season. And if they didn't, if somehow they couldn't, if at all possible, but let's say they couldn't, that it, it, destruction would be wrought. Now, you might say, why? Why is it so important? What, what's he talking about? The logic is there, right? These agreements between the labor and the owners have not contemplated missing an entire season and splitting up the losses, the amount of losses, that much pain, financial pain is something that the players would have felt taken and hoodwinked if somehow they agreed and the owners wouldn't be willing to lose enough to make the players not feel taken or hoodwinked. There'd be, it's like a divorce in which no side can accept it because it's just as bad as death or just as bad as anything, not death, but anything. And thus they never can really get past it. And if that, you know, we can say Rick Buecher doesn't know what he's talking about, but if you believe Buecher in general, that's what the stakes have been. And I haven't heard that, Jonas. What I've heard is that, yeah, uh, we want to come back, but player health, it's like literally the survival of the leagues have been at stake. That feels very different than the narrative we've had. What do you think? Yeah, no, and I, I believe Rick Buecher. I don't think he would make up something like that. It's a guy who covers the sport. You know, in, in a lot of ways, they butter his bread, so to speak, and the fact that he says, no, you don't really have a choice here. Financially, you need to figure this out and come back. I think the longer this has gone on, the more that that's become a reality. Remember LeBron James early on who said, man, if there's not fans in attendance i'm not playing his tune has changed in 10 weeks based on what we've seen and to me the question we got to ask ourselves we'll pick this up tomorrow which is what about all the yapping 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 from the leagues themselves that are telling us nothing like that reality so if this is true this reality that buker just laid out that this is life and death in a way for the leagues isn't what any of the leagues have expressed. So they've been misleading us. And quite frankly, it's not what any of the shows have expressed. You haven't heard talk show X, Y, or Z saying it. And thus, everyone's been in on a big fugazi of telling us things that just aren't true. And it, to me, I'm not okay with it. Straight out of Vegas! 